This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, welcome to New Church Live. Could we get a little preliminary Merry Christmas just to get in the spirit? One, two, three. Great to have all you folks here today. We have a wonderful service ahead for you. And, and this is where we start Advent. And it's, it's, I want to just give you a little bit of background so you understand what this is going to be and how the flow of the service is going to work. Advent is this old Christian tradition that says in the four weeks before Christmas, you, you celebrate what, what they were trying to capture. Like, like for them, they said, look, if we're trying to capture Christianity, this is what we're trying to capture. Hope, peace, love, Enjoy. You know, a, a beautiful sort of summary of what Christianity is really all about. And whether you're Christian or not, I think we all can find our way into that and find a way to respond to it. And here's the second thing I want to share with you Advent traditionally for Christians was the Sunday when the new year started. Now, now that's easy, right? To just go Sunday when the new year started. So just let that go right over your head. No, no, the day the new year starts is when all the college football teams are playing. No. It actually was supposed to be the first Sunday of Advent, purposefully put in the darkest time of year, where we start out by lighting a candle, and that candle, listen to this, that candle is the candle for hope. The candle for hope. I know a lot of you in here, I know a lot of you online are searching for that very thing, for hope. Maybe that's what today can be. The story where we start to look at the Christmas story and we come at it from that angle of hope and we understand that our job is as best we can in a world that is so hurting over these past few weeks. To simply say we're going to make a stand. That stand is going to be the stand of light and it's going to be the stand of hope. So welcome to our beginning of our Christmas series here. Great to have you here today. Really, again, a very special service that we have ahead for you. And when we look at it, when we look at like, how do we recapture the magic of Christmas? Like Christmas is a magical time. And how do we recapture that in ways that, that, that are meaningful, that actually give shape to our life? Yeah, it's a great time to kind of think nostalgically about Christmas's past. But it's important to remember this as well. These three words. It's a time, I'm going to have you say the last H one there. It's the time of remembrance and the memory that the action is here. The action is here. Yes, you remember, remember, remember the Christmas memories. And it's interesting, when I ask somebody what's their favorite part, favorite memory of Christmas, they always go back to being a little kid. And I've never had, I was thinking, I've never had anyone actually share, well, you know, when I was adult and da-da-da. It always tends to be, and I'm sure maybe that's true for some of you, but imagine the majority of it goes back to being a kid. That remembrance is wonderful. And we need to remember that the action is here. And the magic of Christmas is not just the warm memory, but it's also this call into this new way of living. Again, it was supposed to be the start of the new year. Think about that. It's supposed to be the start of the new year. That's how they held Christmas. And can we, over these next few weeks, again, kind of see it as, oh, yeah, this is a start of a new year. This is a way that maybe I can see life very, very differently. Now, with talking about the magic of Christmas, what I want to do is I want to share with you what that actually looks like. Let's take a look at an example in the world of where the magic of Christmas actually did some work. 
And we're going to start out by seeing a short section from a TED Talk here. And it's, I want to get this guy's name right. It's from an from a author, Jose Sokoloff. And he is Colombian. And he works with the government down there. And they've had, a, had for decades, they've had sort of a civil war where they've had a guerrilla warfare going on. He, he uses the word guerrilla, which sounds much better than guerrilla. He uses the word guerrilla. And, and sort of what, what his job was, was how do we get these guerrillas, these guerrillas, to lay down their arms and to maybe try to rejoin society in much healthier ways. And what he did was he, he talks about the magic of Christmas and how they've been trying to leverage that as a way to bring peace, hope, love, and joy to a nation that's, that's suffered through a civil war. So I want you to take a look at this TED Talk. Then when the TED Talk is done, we're going to go roll right into a question. Like right away, you're going to see the TED Talk, and then you're going to see a question. And the question is just, where did you see the magic in this video? Like what was the Christmas magic that he was talking about? And you're welcome to share that with a neighbor, to share it with me, to text it to me, and we're going to use that to kind of launch into today's story. So take a look at this video, and then we're going to go right into the question. So take a look. And as part of that, we decided to try something completely lateral and different. Christmas lights. So Christmas lights. I am going to talk about gigantic trees that we put in nine strategic pathways in the jungle, covered with Christmas lights. These trees helped us demobilize 331 guerrillas, roughly 5% of the guerrilla force at the time. These trees were lit up at night and they had a sign beside them that said, if Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home. Demobilize. In Christmas, everything is possible. And somebody, some, some brilliant person in our team came, came back and, and said, you know what I noticed? I noticed that around Christmas time, there have been peaks of demobilization since this war has started. And that, that was incredible because that led us to think that we needed to talk to the human being and not to the soldier. We needed to step away from talking from government to, to army, from army to army, and we needed to talk about the universal values, and we needed to talk about humanity. And that was when the Christmas tree, when the Christmas tree happened. This picture that I have here, you see, this is the planning of the Christmas trees. And that man you see there with the, with the three stars, he's Captain eh, Juan Manuel Valdez. Captain Valdez was the first high-ranking official who, to give us the helicopters and the support we needed to put these Christmas trees up. And he said in that meeting something that I will never forget. He said, I want to do this because being generous makes me stronger, makes my men feel stronger. Uh, and I get very emotional when I remember him because he was, he was killed later in combat and, and, and we really miss him. But I think uh, I, I, I want you all to see him because he, he was really, really important. He gave us all the support to put up the first Christmas trees. What happened later is that the guerrillas who came out during the Christmas tree operation and all of that said, that's really good. Christmas trees are really cool. But you know what? We really don't walk anymore. We use rivers. So rivers are the highways of the jungle. And this is something we learned. 
And most of the recruiting was being done around, in and around the river villages. So we went to these river villages and we asked the people, and probably some of them were direct acquaintances of the guerrilla, we asked them, can you send guerrillas a message? We collected over 6,000 messages. Some of them were notes saying get out, some of them were toys, some of them were candy. Even people took off their jewelry, their little crosses and, and religious things, and put them in these floating balls that we sent down the rivers so that they could be picked up at night. And we sent thousands of these down the rivers and then picked them up later if they weren't. But lots of them were picked up. This generated, on average, a demobilization every six hours. So this was incredible, and it was about come home at Christmas. So the past Christmas, what we did was we asked, we found 27 mothers of guerrillas, and we asked them to give us pictures of their children when they only could recognize themselves so as not to put their lives in danger. And we asked them to give the most motherly message you can get, which is, before you were, you were a guerrilla, you were my child. So come home, I'm waiting for you. You can see the pictures here, I'll show you a couple. As we started this work a little over eight years ago, 17,000 guerrillas have demobilized. Powerful. And now I want you to share this question. What struck you as magical in what he said? What struck you as magical in that video? Again, you can share it with a partner. You can text it into me. Uh, and you can share it as I'm coming around. So please take a look at that question. Time ago, and I, I think there's just there's so much beauty in it, right? And I even think, I, I love the picture of the little light balls going down the river. Isn't that cool? And you just thought, yeah, you know, who in my life do I need to send those little messages to? You know, even the messages I don't want to send, but that I, that I think that Christmas is a time for that to be possible. I, you know, a whole lot of, a lot of you have emailed in. And so what I want to do is, as these emails are coming in, I want to share with you one thought and then I'm going to read some of them. This is the thought by Gregory Boyle. And Gregory Boyle, I've used this quote before, but I think it gets to the magic that Christmas can be. And, and it gets to the way the story actually moves. Now, now again, if you're not Christian, you're like, I don't know whether I buy this whole Christian thing, fine. Just listen to it as poetry and listen to it as, as something that God is trying to share with you, you know, a, a bigger message. And part of that message deals with this kind of magic. Soon we imagine with God the circle of compassion. Then we imagine, I'm going to have you say the N and the O word. Then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins will be erased. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. I am getting way too many texts these days. <laughs> and there was somebody, was somebody last week said, Chuck, I'm always amazed at how good you are at reading all those texts. I'm not. I'm completely ham-fisted because my 13-year-old, my 12-year-old actually knows more about this phone than I do. Um, the streams of providence carry the light. That's beautiful and you can't come home. Love wins. It was a simple solution, a appeal to the humanity in each garia. The power of love between a mother and her child, boy, is that beautiful. The love of a mother of her children, always there forever, changing to treating each other like brothers and sisters, that he came not from a place of admonishment, but of care and love, the light. Uh, 
the lights are magical and the messages bring you closer to Christ. The realization that the perfection and innocence of their humanity exists. Human to human connection versus human to soldier. I thought that was very powerful. The Gurias were able to feel love. From Colorado, somebody answered, the mothers of those men would want them to be good, would want them to come home. They touched their innocence, reconnected with their inner goodness. Uh, the way God inspired them to be creative in their approach. And that, that, that whole idea of moral, you know, moral creativity, that that can be part of the Christmas message as well, very powerful. So I, I want to start by, by, you know, again, telling you a story where we're going to see some of these same magical themes start to, to echo out. And, and folks, when, when you look at the Christmas story, like just step back for a second. You know, it's, it's just this little, tiny, infinitesimally small pebble that's dropped into human history and that has sent ripples out throughout the world. Like all these churches that you see existing around you, the, 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 the conversation around who Christ was, it all started with this tiny little story, this tiny little birth, this tiny little event that then ripples out in these bigger circles of compassion, bigger circles of compassion. So I want to start here giving you the story of Mary. Now for this story, I, you know, just to, to remember, you know, historically, uh, Mary, who's the mother of Christ, if you're not familiar with the Christian story, Mary probably would have been 14 or 15 years old. She's engaged at this time. Uh, and that was pretty common. You were usually engaged by 14 or 15 years old. Again, life expectancy, very different, you know, a different world than what we live in today. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then this is the way the story always goes, the same rhythm. We have an announcement, and then we have, oh my goodness, a lot of fear. Mary was greatly troubled. She was afraid at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, you guys will all predict this. You'll be able to tell who the people who come every week. Number one command of the New Testament, do not be, yeah, let's say that one more time. Do not be afraid and just picture that. Take a breath and picture that. This angel coming with this message saying, you're highly favored. And she's like, oh, he said, don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end a beautiful line there. And what Mary goes on, she goes on, she talks to him about it, and then she goes on, and she finally just reaches this very humble place. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. A beautiful line. Now fast forward a few months, and we pick up the story again, and Mary is sharing the news with a beloved aunt, and, and as she shares the news, she, you see something shift in her. You see a change. You see something having come alive. You see someone who has been, been just riled with fear, unsure, not knowing at all what this message went, to somebody who's able to offer something magnificent, somebody who has truly found their voice, that little circle just going out one ripple more. In traditional Christianity, and probably not a whole lot of you know this, you know, it's, it's called the Magnificat. 
because it's for where Mary talks about magnifying, how her soul will magnify God. Again, really interesting line there. Her soul will magnify God, magnify God's love and God's message. Boy, there's Christmas just in one line, right? So what I want you to do is I want you to hear each other's voices saying this. So we're going to have it up here on the screen. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come around with, with my microphone. You can either raise your hand to volunteer to read it, or you can raise your hand to volunteer the person beside you to read one line. All right? So just let me grab the mic. All right, who's the brave person for number one? Brave person, all right, there we go. Excellent. Just read number one. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now that word rejoice is there, you know, again, one of my favorite words, you know, the word rejoice is anytime you can you see that in Greek, you could also translate it thrive. Think about that. Like, look at that now. My, and my spirit thrives. My spirit thrives. All right. Volunteer for number two. Oh, excellent. You guys are, I'm working out today. Our online audience is wondering where, what is he doing right now? Number two. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Great. And this piece of beautiful gratitude. Now the next one, number three. Volunteer. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Excellent. And the word mercy, again, mercy, you've heard me say this before. The word mercy means womb-like mother love. Womb-like mother love. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their most, in, in most thoughts. I love that one because it says, look, he's going to do stuff and you're just going to be confused. You know, you're going to think you get it all together, and then you're going to be all confused. It's not going to make sense in the way you think it will. Welcome to Christ's world. Nancy, number five. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Excellent. So humble, humble. Do you want to, do you want to volunteer Marianne now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Casey, all right. So, so that idea of humility, like that humility being so important. Number six. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Excellent. And that, and that idea, like hunger, like, like both humble and hungry. And the last one, number seven. Who would like to read number seven and bring us on home? He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You think of the beauty, you know, the incredible beauty in these lines. And looking at that, like, you know, the Magnificat, this, this part. Part that's able to magnify God. And that's so much what this story has in it, these pieces of magnifying God. So as the band comes out. 
I ask you to do is just, just think for a minute. Yeah, what is that, what is that very humble part? And the very hungry part of my life. That, that humble and that hungry part. Cause that's, that's maybe Mary's genius. God doesn't arrive in the part of us that has it all figured out. Did you hear that? He does not arrive in the part of you that has it all figured out. He seeks to be born in the part of you that struggles. The part of you that's humble. The part of you is, that's hungry, that, that is just like, oh, just, just, I just, I just feel like, oh, you know, I'm down. Because I'm down, listen to this. Because I'm down, I'm open. Mary, did you know? Do you know what God could do? Do you know what God can do? When you're in that humble place, in that deeply open place. I love that song. I think it, it speaks so much to, I think, what, what it must have been like. You know, and, that, and again, it, the story, like just even here up poetically, a part of our life that, that may not be aware, but ready for this, may not be aware, of, but listen, 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 but may be open. May just be open. That may actually be tired of having it all figured out. May actually be tired of trying to figure it all out. I mean, just you even look at the geography of the story. It just, it just speaks to God continually pressing out there into the margins. Whether you're talking about what's going on in Columbia, uh, whether you're talking about in your own life, like who's on the margin of our own lives today, it doesn't matter. Like this story is about those ripples that go out. Just look, just look. And this is, this is standard biblical kind of, kind of teaching, but I think it's so important to keep coming back to it like every Christmas. When you look at the Roman Empire, that was big. That was big. I mean, they pretty much ruled the known world. And where she was born is, see where the little J is with Judea? <laughs> she was born between the J, I mean, she was living between the J and the U. Tiny, do you see how far away that is? Like that's, talk about a ripple, my goodness. See, the way the story, see where it says Italia, the way the story should have gone is it should have had its center like way, way, way over there. Its story should have looked like this. It should have taken place in Italy. That The middle of Italy, say it please, the middle of Italy was... That's where it should have happened, should have happened in Rome. It should have happened with a male warrior who then became Caesar, and the hero should have been Caesar, and it should have been in a palace that all these things were taking place. See, the Romans had these stories. They, believe it or not, when you look back at the time when Christ was born, they had their gospels. They literally called them gospels, good news. And it was all about this, blah. And guess what? Guess what they called Caesar Augustus? They said, Caesar Augustus, you are the son of God. That's how they referred to him, was the son of God. It was on the coins. They had their story. They had this thing going. But Christianity started a very different message. It was in Judea. It was an occupied territory. A town of Nazareth. A teenage girl, please say the P word there, a teenage girl who was a simple peasant, uneducated peasant. She became the ultimate of heroines when she became a simple 
mom, don't let that get past you. Simple mom who gave birth in a, in a stable. Do you see how revolutionary that is? Quiet, granted. Not a bunch of big fireworks, granted. But a quiet revolution of the spirit, a quiet revolution of love, a quiet yes to God that changes the world in very dramatic and profound ways. When you look at this picture of Mary, this slide of, of, of you know, and you think about the, the beauty of, of how this would have unfolded, I'm reminded of this, and when you look at those two different narratives, I'm reminded of this, and I'm reminded of how those circles, again, those circles keep on going out, the whole way out to Judea, and then in those circles from that pebble drop there, go out even further. And I've said this before, but I think it just, it just bears repeating. We have a lot of first-time people here today. So first off, welcome. And second, listen to this. Probably one of the best pieces of Christianity, I think, is this, this simple piece. Your identity is far greater than your biography. Your identity is far greater than your biography. And much of the Christian journey is getting rid of those things that hide us. Mary simply was not her biography. There was no biography. She's 14. There's none. But there was an identity there. A humility and an openness to God that that we do experience from time to time, but we don't live in a culture that necessarily celebrates that. It, it's, it's interesting, like we kind of know humility is, is so important, right? We, we know like that maybe, I think, I think, I think a lot of you, you would agree that, that there's a certain part of you that knows that, that maybe having all the answers isn't it. But we don't live in a culture that, that, that even acknowledges that. I don't, I don't experience that way. Maybe you do. I should just be for me. For, for me, I don't experience a culture that way. But that humility is that important first step, that part that is humble and that part that is hungry and that part, therefore, that is open. So, so, so critical. And that's the part that learns to sing the Magnificat. That learns to move from being afraid to be able to offer this thing that, that is this, this pronouncement that magnifies, that where God magnifies, you know, where her soul is then, is then magnified and, and magnifying God. And that's incredibly beautiful stuff. In New Church theology, here's one way to haul it. You know, we look at life with their blessings, with their blessings, the layered depths in our emotional responses, that idea that our emotional responses to life just keep on opening. When we come from that place, our emotional responses keep on opening and opening and opening and opening. Another way of saying we learn how to love more and more wisely and more and more humbly at the same time. It's interesting when we, when we look at how that kind of goes out, you know, what, what would be some other words that I could offer around it? And a, and a dear friend shared these words from Father Henry Nouwen, and I think, you know, Nouwen, great author, by the way, and, and he just nailed it. This is one I would take a photograph of if you had a camera. It's a beautiful quote. Advent does not lead to nervous tension stemming from expectation of something spectacular about to happen. On the contrary, listen to this, like really let this sink in. 
it leads to a growing inner stillness, a growing inner stillness and joy, allowing me to realize that he for whom I am waiting has already arrived and speaks to me in the silence of my heart. Just as a mother feels the child grow in her and is not surprised on the day of the birth. Hopefully none of you were surprised, the moms in here, when the baby arrived. Not surprised on the day of the birth, but she joyfully receives the one she learned to know during the waiting. And, and I think about that, like, like, you know, how many moms, like, I, I'm so blessed to be around, around moms and, you know, the baptisms and all that kind of stuff. When I hear all the time from moms, you know, they hold the new baby and they go, oh, there you are. Right? Like they've come to know the baby in the waiting. Same with faith. So Jesus can be born in my life slowly and steadily and be received as the one I learned to know while waiting. It's it's such beautiful language. And I I think that is, again, we have to see the Christmas story as a song. And and you can start to hear this song and start to to understand this. And and to see it, folks, it's it's beyond just a sentimental kind of nostalgic piece of Christmas. Though that is a beautiful part of Christmas. Are you starting to see that there's something much more here? Something much greater. Even in its stillness, it's much louder. And incredibly powerful. So how would I capture the magic? Like if I was to say, well, this is what the magic is, this is what I might say. It's magic in hearing the beauty. God finding us right where we are, pulling forth a quietly known, but as yet unimagined, have you say the A word there, as yet unimagined aliveness, giving us hope, giving us hope. now going to be coming off stage and we're going to be just lighting the first advent candle as i'm coming off we have some volunteers from kids live at least i hope they're hearing this back there fingers crossed you know that are going to come forward and, and light the candle and if they don't come forward i'm going to nominate somebody to come up and light the candle and then we're I'm going to offer a prayer and then over the last song, you're welcome to come on up and, and just, you know, fill out a card here and, and uh, on that card, just something you're hoping for. And then you put it in the basket. And we did this last year. It worked so well. I want to do it again. And then we're going to collect the cards and I'm going to pray over them sometime during the week. You know, where you kind of are, are feeling this pull. So again, I'm going to come off the stage. Our candle lighter is going to come through. We're going to light the candle and then we're going to do a prayer. See if my brave little one's appearing. Are they magically? This is the waiting. You're not patient enough, Frank. So, you're the ne- Frank was the negative five. Oops. All right. Well, I am just going to ask somebody who'd like to come forward and, and light the uh, light the advent candle. Anybody like to come forward? Sweetie, ready? Ready to help me? All right. Excellent. Great job. You did great. Great, great, great. 
stay lit. So the the Advent candle, again, just, just thinking about what this symbolizes. You know, again, in, in, in Christianity, we have to recapture the ancient future nature of what we're talking about. Something that's a millennium. I mean, people have been doing this. People have been celebrating this way for millennium. For millennium. Think about it. Just look at that candle and think about that. Trying to figure out some way to capture the greatest parts of the human heart about what God desires for every single one of you in this room. A new start. The ability to begin again and again and again. When in the Easter story is called resurrection. In that birth that can happen over and over again. That new year that we can come back to in new recycled ways. Let's all say it together. Begins with a candle. And the candle is called hope. Hope. So please now join me in a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer. You'll have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to offer your own quiet prayer. And then after that, if you'd like to come up and write a card, please do as they're playing the last song. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, help us to understand hope more and more. Help us, Lord, in a world that at times can feel dark and in our own lives, Lord. Our own lives, Lord. We're just like Mary. We are afraid, unsure. Allow us, especially in those places, to welcome your arrival into our lives and to welcome it warmly in a simple way. One candle. One light, one hope, one advent. Help us, Lord, to live in that place. Help us to find those ripples of compassion that can go out. Help us, Lord, to find the humility and the hunger, those places out of which you can be born. Redeem those dark places, Lord. Redeem those places, Lord, where we feel utterly hopeless. Redeem them by bringing your light there, your love, your warmth, your care, your Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.